You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Living in mangrove swamps, rivers and streams, it doesn't look like much at first. But it can do this. This feat of marksmanship is even more impressive than it looks. Archerfish can actively control everything about their jets. Speed, angle, height and force. Controlling a free jet of water like this is something that's challenging for humans. But for the archer fish, it's all child's play. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 373 of this podcast. Today is April 20th, 2022, and also a Wednesday which means that it also just so happens to be the last day of This Hitch On. I have not podcasted quite as much these days on as I should have liked. Part of that is because I was feeling under the weather. Part of that is because I had a conversation go not quite like I was hoping it would. I don't know if you've ever had that happen before. You're going into a conversation with certain expectations and you want the other person to hear certain things and you want them to maybe even perhaps say certain things. And then they don't hear what it is that you were trying to say or they don't seem to. And they also say some things that are not convenient for... (laughs) what you were hoping to coordinate with them. So that happened uh, in a work situation. I'll just put it that way. It was a work situation, a work uh, prospect, uh, partnership sort of a deal, and it just did not pan out like I was hoping it would. But who knows? God willing, we live and do this or that. It may yet be that what I said has an effect, I don't know. In the meantime, I do know that I had my daughter Evelyn in uproarious laughter last night because it started, well, it it started this way. It started with me poking fun just a little bit at uh, the fact that all she's got in the front row of her top set of teeth is the, the two middle front teeth. And we were saying goodnight to her, my wife and I, and Andrew, the newborn. And she did this thing where she was just kind of doing like the bunny teeth, uh, you know, just those those two middle teeth sticking out. Uh, and I don't think she meant to do it. I think she was just, I don't know, being random uh, before bed, before going to sleep for the night. And so I, I made... A little bit of a joke about it, and then I thought about it. You know, she like she, I she had this look on her face where it seemed like she didn't quite know how to take the joke, whether this was funny or whether this was at her expense. 
And so before she could take it the wrong way, I decided, okay, well, you know what? I better jump in and be self-deprecating here because I'm certainly not trying to make her feel self-conscious. I, I do want her to laugh with me. I'm not trying to laugh at her. I'm, I'm wanting her to laugh with me. And so I told her, I said, you know, actually, for a long, long time, I was very self-conscious about my smile with my two front teeth uh, in the in the top row, like yours. And uh, it used to make me feel just very reluctant to smile. I think some people, some people see me as uh, perhaps very serious. Uh, not everybody. I mean, I think people that know me uh, well don't see me as overly serious. But uh, I used to be just a lot more straight faced, in part because I I just don't like I, I don't like uh, showing that gap between those two teeth. Uh, and then a couple of things changed my outlook on it. One was reading a lot more Teddy Roosevelt biographies and noting that it didn't seem to hold him back, that he had some kind of funny teeth up top. And for another thing, Lawrence Fishburne, who plays Morpheus in The Matrix, uh, he also has a pretty distinctive gap between those two front teeth. And probably it's a silly thing to think about, worry about, be overly concerned about. Uh, But I do think that my having figured that out uh, has helped my kids, perhaps, who who have that same arrangement uh, in any measure. I think they maybe, maybe just possibly are a little little less self-conscious since I have come to terms with, I've made peace with that aesthetical feature of myself. And I've just, I've embraced it as, okay, well, you know what? That's just a distinctive, right? It, it looks different, but it's just a distinctive. And lean into it. Don't be embarrassed about it. Just embrace it. And so I'm telling my daughter this, and she's, you know, listening and all that. And I said, actually, do you know what? Uh, there is something something I can do uh, pretty well with my teeth being like this. I can actually shoot a jet of water uh, a pretty good distance with some accuracy, uh, like a squirt gun between those two front teeth. And so I, rather than telling her that, I proceeded to demonstrate uh, just briefly. We had a couple of little succulent plants that we've just put in some repaired, super glued back together coffee mugs. Uh, And those were across the room. Poor Lauren is sitting there trying to read a book, I think. Uh, She might have been looking at her phone, but I think she was trying to read a book. And then, lo and behold, here comes, yeah, me shooting a a jet of water across. Very, very tightly uh, focused, mind you. But nevertheless, uh, shooting that across the room right in front of her. And then she gave me that look, that disapproving look that wives sometimes give to their husbands. And Evelyn just thought that was hilarious. I just, like, she was very impressed, of course. And I said, do you know what an archer fish is? She says, 
uh, no. And so I, I showed her that clip that I just played at the top of the episode. And there you go. You're welcome. Uh, fun fact, I can do what the archerfish can do. So I guess that's like my weird, very odd superpower. Uh, maybe not quite as fun, quite as useful as Spider-Man, Batman, but maybe someday Archer Fishman will be needed, and when he is, I will be ready. But enough about that. Also last night, I watched Andrew's Game, the movie, with all of our kids, save Andrew, who went with Lauren to Lady Small Group, watched Andrew's Game with the kids, and that was that was pretty enjoyable. It was pretty interesting. It's a disturbing premise in ways, uh, to me, certainly, probably to anybody. But if you've never checked it out, read the book first. The book is better. I just read the book as well that the movie was based off of. I read that over the weekend on the recommendation of Joseph Crampton and Bobby McPherson. And it was a great recommendation. I really enjoyed that book. And so I've got the next two that I was recommended reading in the series to do it in the proper sequence, the proper order. I've got the next two also in my Audible library. And I'm halfway through, uh, or maybe a third of the way through, the second book that I was advised to read, Endress Shadow. And I'll tell you this, there is something very off-putting about the idea of the world's brightest, most intelligent children being taken up into space and trained to become commanders. And who cares what it does to their humanity? We just have to have them save the species. And all the while, you've got these adults who are molding them from behind the scenes, manipulating them, letting them do far too much to one another in the process of trying to weed out who's going to be weak, trying to figure out who's going to be the strongest. It's very much a natural selection, survival of the fittest sort of story. And the whole time that they are preparing to save humanity the irony can't be lost that humanity's being lost in those moments where these children needed parents and do not have parents. They're on their own. Now, I don't know what Orson Scott Card, the author of the books, would have to say about this theory, but certainly from the standpoint of a guy who was homeschooled growing up, with eight kids, whose eight kids are being homeschooled, save the youngest two, kind of. John John dabbles a little bit at almost four years old. Andrew definitely is not in any kind of schooling. He's just not quite three months old. But speaking as someone who was homeschooled growing up and has observed as an outsider trends in public education, researched the history of public education, wrote a book on homeschooling, and this is why we homeschool, very critical of public education and the Prussian model of public education. I look at 
Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow. And I think to myself, and this is why we homeschool. <laughs> this is this is not so good, right? These kids are being trained and conditioned and monitored and studied obsessively and controlled and manipulated. And they're being used. They're being used to obtain a certain objective by the world's most powerful, wealthy people. They're being used. And meanwhile, the adults who are controlling them, uh, if they were smarter than the kids, then presumably these kids wouldn't be the Earth's only hope, the human race's only hope to fight off this alien invasion or this alien species. One would imagine that these kids would be actually allowed to be kids and that the adults would actually be the ones in charge. And yet there's a cruel kind of math that we have seen played out in the decisions uh, through COVID, through the past several years, really through the past several decades with out-of-control spending being such as it has been, where the can is always kicked down the road and the powers that be don't seem overly concerned, most of them, with what this does to our children and our grandchildren. They don't seem overly concerned. Maybe they're concerned about their children getting jobs with lobbying firms or getting paid for influence, for the influence of their parents who are in office. Maybe they're concerned about their children, but they're not concerned about our children. They're okay with selling out the future security and prosperity and peace of our children. Who cares what's left of these kids after they win the battle? We're just going to use them now and quesera, sera, whatever happens to them in the process happens to them. And that's not good, to put it mildly. But I think it's all the more of a cautionary tale for me as a father. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, I'm preparing you for adulthood. What kind of an adulthood are you going to have if we approach your training and rearing and raising and instruction, your childhood in this way versus that way? Some interesting things to pull on through the Ender's Game story through that series of books. Interesting things to pull on, really, truly. But there's this scene at the very tail end of the movie. I'll play for you just the clip, because why not? Check it out. This is from Ender's Game, 2013 film, starring Harrison Ford, Ben Kingsley. No! The way we win matters. Yeah. Quite right. Imagine that. The way we win matters. Do the ends justify the means, utilitarian, moral philosophy, ethics? Or do the means we employ change the type of ends we arrive at? Very much so. The latter, very much so. Interesting. I see someone named Stephen Byrne, one year ago, commented on that very short clip on YouTube from which I just got the audio. All Stephen says is, no, it doesn't. The way we win matters. No, it doesn't. Let me guess. 
you went to public school. Am I right? Buy my book, by the way. And this is why we homeschool available on paperback and Kindle e-reader from most places online where books can be found. Check it out. It's why my wife and I homeschool. I talk about my having been homeschooled. I talk about public education as it stands right now. And I talk about also what does it mean that we're trying to prepare our children for the real world, so-called. What does that actually mean? Totally available right now. Why wait? Get it for your Self, get it for someone you love. Speaking of winning and how we win and cheaters and manipulative folks and powers that be employing utilitarian ethics, I am still locked out of my Twitter account. March 26th is when I got the email, first email from Twitter saying that my account had been locked because one of my tweets went against their community standards. The tweet in question was to a certain Chris Jolly Hale from Tennessee, failed congressional candidate, Democrat. He had some very silly, we'll we'll say silly, some very silly things to say about Marsha Blackburn asking Katanji Brown-Jackson if she could define what a woman is. Chris Jolly Hale, Christopher Hale, as he's also known, came out publicly and said that Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee as well, senator from Tennessee, successful candidate for the United States Senate, should be removed and replaced by the state of Tennessee. And I tweeted back, that's retarded. So what happens? Someone reports me to Twitter and says, that I am somehow buying, selling, or facilitating the transaction of certain illegal or regulated substances or services on their platform, which is totally false, totally bogus, does not make a lick of sense whatsoever. The charge is not only false, it's nonsensical. It's absurd. So I appealed that suspension of my account Within a couple of minutes, I got an email back saying, no, someone on our team has definitely reviewed your appeal, and we have definitely concluded that you did, in fact, violate our community standards, our community guidelines. It was supposed to be a 12-hour suspension, and we are now approaching one month. I have been off of Twitter for one month. I think they just found an excuse. Any excuse would do. And they routinely do this. And this is also why the board of directors at Twitter has preferred the poison pill approach to letting Elon Musk buy the company. He offered to buy the company outright, paying cash. And they opted for basically releasing so many shares that the value of everyone's shares would be diluted as a result, which is a very corrupt, fraudulent way to go about it. Here, you've got this company public, but you're not going to allow a certain person whose politics you don't like, namely they're not an authoritarian, tyrannical jerk. That's your politics. You're going to 
not allow him to actually buy into the company at the level that would make a difference, that, that would stop you from being able to do with your board of directors position anything you please to dissenters, those who object. Now, it's interesting. Musk has pointed out that the board of directors, each member of the board of directors owns a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. We're talking like 0.02% of Twitter. Not anything approaching Jack Dorsey's 2.5%. I don't even know what Musk is up to at this point or what he would have been up to prior to the poison pill. But it's a big deal to a lot of very wealthy, powerful people around the world. It's a big deal that they have access to the metadata on you and me. Very similar to Ender's Game. We are being studied and analyzed. Our browser histories, our call logs, our private messages, what we watch, what we listen to, when we turn it off. That actually, interestingly enough, is why Netflix got so good until they became infected, infected themselves with a woke brain disease, as Musk puts it. That's part of how they got so good at putting out original content for a while until the woke mind virus got in the way. But they would analyze when people rewound a scene and watched it over again, when people would stop watching scenes in TV shows and movies on their streaming platform. And then they figured out from that, hey, these are the most impactful scenes, and also these are where we lose the audience. So we need more of this kind of scene, and we need less of this kind of scene. And you can turn it all into algorithms. And then what you can do when you make the drugs more potent, more addictive, you can smuggle anything in with that spoonful of sugar. That spoonful of sugar, all the sweeter, will help whatever medicine you want people to take to go down. And so also with Twitter. The folks at Twitter are not in this for the money. They're in this for the power. They're in this for the ability to manipulate the whole world. Nothing less. Nothing more, I don't think, but nothing less. That's all. That's all they want is to take over the world and re-engineer humanity. I think it's the same program that the globalists you can read about in Scott J. Shapiro and Una Hathaway's The Internationalists, in which they speak about it positively. They're, they're not critics. They're not conspiracy theorists. They're just laying out the history and saying, hey, isn't this great? But it's the same plan and program that they talk about in The Internationalists. If you want to get a critical perspective on it, check out Return of the Strong Gods by R.R. R. Reno, chief editor of First Things magazine. Return of the Strong Gods is basically a return of our strong loyalties to our creed, our family, our nation. Loyalties that the powers that be find very threatening. They think if we are able to retain those, we will have war. Never mind that they're stripping us of those strong gods, as R. R. Reno puts it is also stripping us of our humanity. They're turning us into something that is, is not human. We're not made to be atheists. 
We weren't created to be manipulated like this, to have slavish obedience to some algorithm that you cooked up for the supposedly greater good. What makes you so smart that you know what the greater good is like that? And also, what happens when this whole illusion breaks irreversibly? What happens when it breaks and successive generations say, you know what? We don't need social media. We don't need you manipulating us there. We don't need your corporate news media manipulating us, pushing our buttons, trying to get us to be afraid about these things, trying to control us through our desire for money and sex, power and food and shelter and basic necessities with this, 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 and this story. We don't need that. Well, what are you going to do then? I suppose the thought is by that point, you'll have such a lock and maybe you figure you already do and you're just trying to hold on to it. But what if you stop having that lock on power the way that you do? Also, by the way, have you considered that there's a God in heaven who knows the truth, who will ask for an account from you, require an account. He knows, but you will have to give an account to a holy and righteous God who you are impersonating very poorly right now. Something to think about. Speaking of God only knowing the truth, I tuned in to a little bit of the defamation suit court case televised, live streamed yesterday. Johnny Depp is suing ex-wife Amber Heard for defamation after she wrote several years ago a piece in the Washington Post talking about having been abused. And she didn't accuse Johnny Depp by name. Specifically, she just said that she'd been abused. She wrote it in such a way, given the circumstances, everyone suspected that she was talking about Johnny Depp. And this was at the height of the Me Too movement. And so, of course, the powers that be, the same powers that be that want to control us all through social media and the corporate media and through the public education system, buy my book, read it. Homeschool your kids, more importantly. The same powers that be who want so badly to decide what it is that we think and feel and do and don't think and feel and do and say, basically tried the accusations against Johnny Depp, beloved actor, known for dozens of quirky, eccentric, and uh, altogether very skillfully played roles in movies over the decades. They tried him in the court of public opinion, and he lost, just like pretty much everybody who was accused of impropriety, of either physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape during the Me Too movement, heyday. We're still in it, but not like we were. It's not quite to the level that it was, but it was very much a witch hunt. And here's the irony. Well, there's a couple of ironies, actually. But one of the ironic things about it is that Johnny Depp jumped on board during the Trump presidency and made some off-the-cuff remark about how it's been a while since an actor assassinated a president. Maybe it's been too long. 
And people laughed who hated Donald Trump, who thought, yeah, it'd be great. Take one for the team. I don't know. Maybe Johnny Depp was told to do it and then ended up backing out. So they said, okay, well, if you're going to be like that, we're just going to destroy your life. Hey, Amber, come here. We need to talk with you. We've got an idea or two. I don't know. I don't actually seriously think that is what happened. But what did happen is a dereliction of due process, which was the whole problem with the Black Lives Matter riots and the Me Too movement. The problem with those things was not that we just can't conceive, those of us who object can't conceive of a man being abusive towards a woman, being predatory towards women. Can't conceive of it. No, or we don't care. We, we know that happens. It's no big deal. We like toxic masculinity, and so we affirm that. How dare you pick on those men because patriarchy. We can't conceive of black people being killed unjustly from racist motives ever. So we're automatically going to take the side of any white person against a black person. Or, you know, hey, you know, we're fine with it. It's fine. It's fine. George Floyd, his life didn't matter. Black lives don't matter. That's what conservatives who objected to the fast and loose trial of Derek Chauvin and the other police officers who were involved in the death of George Floyd. That's what it is. No, 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 no. Again, 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 and always. What was so broken about the Me Too movement moment and the Black Lives Matter riots, and for one, they were conspicuously timed to create enough of a storm that the left, the radical left, the powers that be, the puppet masters behind the scenes, I think legitimately wanted to end conservatives once and for all. I think they were really hoping to destroy conservatives. Destroy, weed out anybody on the left who might potentially step out of line and we're going to set a pattern. It's almost a French Revolution type pattern, a Mao's cultural revolution type pattern, whereby we will establish that not only anyone who steps out of line is to be hated and destroyed now, however much we loved them before. But also everything you thought you knew, everything you thought you loved about your country before must go. So what happens when an accusation is enough to condemn someone? What happens? Bad things happen. And I don't know that Johnny Depp is innocent. I don't know that. But he might be. I don't know that Amber Heard is lying. But she might be. I mean, an important thing to remember, I was thinking this as I was tuning in yesterday. I got the notification. I wasn't looking for it. It just found me. Thanks, Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles. But uh, both of them are actors, right? Like they, They're both actors. They both know how to pretend. They get paid a lot of money. They're famous for being very persuasive, making you believe. So both of them could be pretending, which is to say, yes, men and women can both pretend. We have actors and actresses. They can both pretend 
that the truth is something other than it is, very convincingly, and make you believe it. Don't be a sexist. Don't you go assuming that only men could be lying in a moment like this. Only women could be lying in a moment like this. They could either of them be lying or both of them be lying. Seems pretty self-evident that something happened here one way or the other. One or both of them abused the other. But the trouble is when we get in a pattern, get in a habit, when it becomes a cultural moment that we try things in the court of public opinion, we don't try them in a court of law, and then people face real lasting damages because we tried their case in the court of public opinion, and the public is not particularly sophisticated when it comes to questions of consistency, evidence, logical fallacies. And there's a reason why when a jury is being selected, not everybody makes it onto the jury. There's a reason. Not everybody is fair and impartial. And yet, what happens when we throw due process out the window? When we say there is no such thing, it doesn't really matter. We destroy the innocent with the guilty because we figure that thereby we can instill fear in everyone. To what end? Well, getting everybody to behave. Well, yeah, but what about the folks who behind the scenes get the best at maneuvering everyone else into defining what behavior, what good behavior means and what it doesn't? What if they have a very self-serving and misbehaving definition of what you should be doing and not doing, saying and not saying, thinking and not thinking, feeling and not feeling? Hmm. They could basically orchestrate it to where you can be accused of anything And as long as they can carefully cut the audio and the video and only interview the people who are going to make you look bad and only include the parts of the interview that are going to make you look the worst, they can destroy you. They can destroy you as soon as you start to get to be any kind of a threat, which is to say you're a slave. And unfortunately, I think think that is where we're at. Uh, We are slaves. Yes, slaves to sin, but sometimes specifically slaves to the sin of very devious people. Very capable, very practiced, very coordinated, very sharp. How much better then, I'll ask you this, how much better does it sound if you're going to be a slave anyways to be a slave to Christ? If you're going to be a slave anyway, you might as well have a master who's going to treat you well and nobody could possibly treat you better than a master who literally lays down his life for yours and promises you eternal life. You're going to live forever when you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your place of rest. And yet, it is interesting to me that among the things we read about when it comes to service to God, we read Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, do justice? Far too many people think that that is at odds with loving mercy and believing the gospel. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't you talk to me about justice. A friend of mine got very worked up, very angry and animated when I 
talked with him a year, year and a half ago about this question of justice as Christians, saying Micah 6.8 is in effect, it applies. Oh, no, 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 no. The gospel, grace. Hold on a second. That's cheap grace you're talking about. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer warns against this cheap grace idea where we just say grace, grace, God's grace. And then we excuse ourselves. We, we do sin. That grace might abound all the more. No, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What do you think that is except for justice? Justice is still in God's economy. Or else Christ needing to atone for our sins makes no sense. He did. It is finished. And yet there is still such a thing as good and evil. It was finished just as much, no more, no less, when Paul wrote Romans 13 about governing authorities, bearing the sword for something, to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil. But alas, that's something we've gotten into before. We will get into it again in greater depth. Suffice to say, I don't know whether Johnny Depp was falsely accused, whether he is just a very, very persuasive abuser. I don't think so, actually. I'm not a fan of his politics, but that doesn't mean due process should be thrown out the window. Certainly not. It's very important how we relate to situations like Johnny Depp's. What is it that the scriptures say? What is it that God set as the standard that every charge was to be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses? And why is that? Because a single false accusation could be used to destroy a rival for the same reasons that Cain killed Abel. Someone could make a false accusation to destroy their brother who has something that they want. It's no more or less complicated than that. It's also a really great reason to have a good reputation and try and secure and maintain a good reputation on solid footing on the basis of your actual character. Have good character. And let it show and protect it. A good name is worth more than great riches, Proverbs tells us. And this is why. As soon as people start saying, you know, yeah, I could imagine that. I could imagine that happening. Ooh, you're in trouble. Now, if on the other hand, like actually in the case of Johnny Depp, as he's having a lot of former girlfriends and love interests and people who've known him for years and years and years come forward, they're saying consistently, I this would be totally out of character. If he treated Amber Heard that way, it was totally out of character. I have never seen him act abusive in the slightest. No way. No way. That is not the Johnny Depp I know. Let that be a lesson for you. Protect your reputation. Develop and stubbornly insist on having good character. Treat people decently over time, even when you think nobody's looking. God knows. Last but not least, because this is kind of a catch-up episode. It's been a few days since I recorded last. I'm hoping to record more consistently over the next week once I'm on days off. But I should go here shortly. Denominations. I think that might be what we talk about in our next episode. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But... What is the reason 
for there being so many Christian denominations? Why are there so many denominations? Why are we not just under one big tent? Why don't we all just join the Roman Catholic Church, for instance? Or why don't we all just join the Eastern Orthodox Church, for instance? Or why, 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 even within a town, we have how many churches? And do they share the same governmental structure? Do they believe all the same things? Do they practice in the same way? And more to the point, does the fact that the answer to those things, those questions, is in the negative, there are so many denominations, and even within a town like Greeley, a city like Greeley, you have tons of churches, most of which do not belong in the same organizations. They do, they're not members of the same organizations together. Does that undermine the Christian faith? the truth of Christianity. That's my apologetic talk topic for next Wednesday night. I will be working on that over the next week towards the end of working on that, getting a condensed, as useful as possible presentation together. I'm going to do a podcast episode about it where I don't have to be confined to 10 minutes. So stay tuned for that. Check it out when it's ready. In the meantime, if you like science fiction, Ender's Game, the Ender's Verse, very interesting so far. Also, buy my book, and this is why we homeschool. It's lesson number two from today's episode. Also, the folks running the show at Twitter are awful human beings, and they should be shamed. But that's all. That's all I got. I think that's all. There's probably more useful things that you got out of this episode, I hope. But in any event, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.